This is the Gathering Ottawa's Message Podcast, and we've got another great message for you. For information about us, check out thegatheringottawa.com. To get connected, email info at thegatheringottawa.com. And just know that at The Gathering, we exist to connect people to the love of Jesus. So let's get right to it. Okay, well, let me ask you a question here this morning. Have you ever felt as if you've been given a tough assignment from God? A tough assignment, maybe even too tough of an assignment from God. Maybe for you, uh, you think of something related to your job or your work, your career, and some challenges that you're facing in the workplace, maybe with a coworker or maybe with your employer. Maybe it's the work itself. It's just very challenging. And sometimes you feel like you're in over your head. Or maybe if you're a student, you think of your time at school and some of the literal assignments <laughs> that you've been assigned, and they're tough. And sometimes you're, you're, you're wondering if you've signed up for more than you can handle. Maybe for you, as you think of tough assignments, you think of your romantic life. Or if you're single, your lack of romantic life and how you, you wish you could, you could just share your life with a partner, but it's not happening, and that's really tough. Maybe you think of your marriage and some of the challenges you're facing there. Maybe, maybe your marriage is in a really tough spot. Feels like a real hard assignment. Like, God, why did you bring me this person? <laughs> why did you bring us this particular challenge in our marriage? Don't laugh too hard, people. Maybe if you're a parent, you think of your children, some of the challenges that you're facing with your kids. Maybe your kid has a diagnosis of some kind. It makes it really challenging to understand them, to parent them. Maybe they're going through some difficulty. Maybe they're going through puberty, and that brings with it a whole bunch of challenges. And some days you just feel, if you're honest, that the assignment that God has assigned you with is just too difficult, too challenging for you in this season. Have you ever felt that way? Like God has assigned a task that is just too difficult for you to do. Well, believe it or not, the Bible is filled with stories like this. In fact, it's hard to find an example from the pages of Scripture where God dished out an easy assignment to someone. It just isn't his style. He seems to specialize in assigning tough assignments. Whether we're talking about Moses as an example, who's given the task of approaching Pharaoh, this leader of Egypt and Egypt, and demanding that he let God's people go, or whether we're talking about Joshua, who took over from Moses and was tasked with leading God's people into the promised land, despite all the opposition and violence that awaited them, or whether we're talking about the many prophets in the Old Testament, prophets like Elijah and Ezekiel or Isaiah, prophets who were tasked with having to bring God's messages to a people who weren't always all that receptive. Speaking of prophets, my favorite example of this is probably the prophet Jeremiah, a prophet who God called to bring a tough message to a godless people and was told before bringing that message that they were not going to listen to him. 
and that it wasn't going to go well for him. Talk about a Talk about a tough assignment, right? Like, I need you, Jeremiah, to go and to say these words, but just so you know, no one's going to listen to you, and no one's going to like you. It's not going to go well for you, but I want you to do it anyway. <laughs> How many would want to sign up for that assignment? Not me. The Bible is filled with stories about tough assignments, and the Christmas story is no different. With some of the main characters of that story receiving exceptionally difficult assignments from God. And so this morning, I want to talk about one of those characters. I want to talk about Joseph, Jesus' earthly father. Next week, we're going to talk about Mary as well. Two people who received really difficult assignments from God that first Christmas. This morning, I'm going to talk about Joseph. As we do that, I want to ask you to consider this question so that we can make this as practical for us as we possibly can. Here's the question. What can we learn as we look at the story of Joseph? What can we learn from Joseph about obedience and faithfulness to God, even or especially when life doesn't make sense? Ever feel like life just doesn't make sense? Things just aren't adding up. It's not working out the way you thought things would work out. I think that's Joseph in our story as we'll come to see. So what can we learn from Joseph about obedience to God even when life doesn't make sense and we find ourselves in the midst of a really tough assignment from God? I encourage you to consider that question as we look at this text here this morning and the story of Joseph. If you have your Bibles and they're not already open, I would encourage you to open them with me to Matthew 1, verses 18 through to 25, which is the passage that was just read for us in the passage that tells the story of Joseph, Jesus' earthly father. We're starting at verse 18. We read this. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, or actually she was betrothed to Joseph. Betrothal being the first stage of marriage in ancient Jewish culture, where in order for a young man to uh, marry his fiance, in order for them to get legally married, they would have to wait a year before they were allowed to consummate their marriage and make things official, if you will. All of which was done primarily to ensure that the young lady, the bride, was pure sexually. You see, in those days, patriarchal as they were, marriages were arranged by the parents, where the parents would choose a wife, a bride for their son, and they would pay the other fee, the bride's family, rather, a marriage fee, and they would then enter into this betrothal period. They had to buy their bride's or their son's bride, so to speak. And so naturally, these parents, the parents of the groom, they wanted to make sure that their son would be marrying someone who was sexually pure and lived in accordance with Jewish law before making things official. They didn't want someone with what they perceived to be a scandalous or sinful past. And so there was this betrothal period, this period of waiting to ensure the bride's purity. Or while the, the couple was still considered legally married and would have to get a divorce in order to break up and end the relationship, they couldn't live together or sleep together as husband and wife until this one-year period of waiting was over. And it could be ensured that the bride in particular 
had been sexually pure, at least recently, and specifically that she hadn't gotten pregnant with someone else's baby, which had to be a little awkward (laughs) for this young bride, right? We're talking about a teenage girl. Everyone's wondering if you've been sexually pure. The whole community is observing this, seeing what's happening, a little bit uncomfortable, to say the least. But here we are. That was the reality of this culture. Reading on now, still in verse 18. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, before Mary and Joseph had slept together, had consummated their marriage, she became pregnant during this betrothal period, not by Joseph, of course, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about Mary next week, but man, talk about a tough assignment from God, right? Especially in this culture, everybody's eyes on Mary, wanting to make sure she's been pure sexually, that she hasn't done anything she's not supposed to do, that she's in accordance with the Jewish law. And if she has broken the law, if she has been sexually impure, if she has gotten pregnant, there's going to be consequences. Not only are we going to shame and scorn her, but we might stone her as well. She might be executed for this as a result. It's a tough assignment for Mary. Verse 19 now, Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man, and he did not want to disgrace her publicly, and so he decided to break the engagement quietly, or to divorce her, basically. Remember, they're they're legally married, even though they're not living together as husband and wife, and so he decided to divorce her because she's pregnant, and he knows, of course, it's not his baby. And honestly, who who could blame him, right? From a, from a human perspective here, like husbands, uh, imagine finding out that your wife or your soon-to-be wife was pregnant and there was just no way that you were the father. Or, or, or wives, imagine finding out that your husband or your soon-to-be husband had been cheating on you and cheating on you for quite some time. How would you feel? What would you do? Would you go through with the marriage? Would you want to stay with that person? How would you feel if you were Joseph? I know as I say that, some of us in this room don't have to imagine too hard because we've lived this. We've lived through the pain of infidelity and adultery. Some of us know what that's like and have a lot of sympathy for a guy like Joseph in this moment. It's tough. That's why Joseph said, I, I, I have to end this relationship with Mary. He, and it had to be hard for him, right? He had to be feeling a sense of betrayal. I know, I know it's an arranged marriage. It's not like him and Mary had been dating for years and then she betrayed. But still, there's, there's an emotional reaction, response to this, a sense of betrayal and embarrassment and distrust of Mary. I don't know what she said to Joseph to explain herself. The Holy Spirit got me pregnant. I think a few people have tried that line a few times over the years. Probably hasn't worked all that often. She tried it with Joseph. Don't imagine he really believed her. Anyone believed her. Led to the breakdown, the potential breakdown of their relationship. But there's two things in verse 19 that we learn about Joseph. Two things about his character that I think are important to understand, uh, help us understand why he responded the way that he did. First thing we see about Joseph here in verse 19 is that he was a righteous man, Matthew tells us. He was a righteous man. 
completely committed to God and to living for him and to following the Jewish law, living in alignment with God's will for his life. He was a good man, a righteous man, a man who had spent his entire life becoming the kind of person who God could trust with a tough assignment. And because he was a righteous man, however, he couldn't just look the other way, right? And Mary a woman who in his mind had clearly broken God's law, that would just completely violate everything he believed as a Jewish man and would ruin his and his family's reputation as a result. He couldn't have it. He was a righteous man. Not an option to stay with Mary. It's the first thing we see about Joseph. He was a righteous man. The second thing we learn about him is that despite the fact that he had every right to pursue this, he didn't want to seek any revenge against Mary. He didn't want to defame her, shame her, scorn her publicly. He, he didn't want to lead the charge in having her executed or stoned, as was his right in the Jewish law. He could have done that, but he did not do that. Instead, Matthew tells us that he did not want to disgrace her publicly, putting her at risk physically and socially. Physically, she could have, again, been executed. Socially, she would have been shunned and shamed. And so being the honorable man that he was, he determined to find a way to divorce her quietly, avoiding all the terrible things that would happen to her if he made a big stink out of this, which I think just gives us a little bit of insight into the kind of man that Joseph was, a man of great character and integrity, a righteous man, and an honorable man, a man that God could trust with his one and only son as his earthly father. Reading on now, verses 20 and 21. As Joseph considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Like, don't worry about how this appears to others. It's not going to make sense to them. Don't even, don't even think about that stuff. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was indeed conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins, which is what the name Jesus means. It's what makes Christmas so special, right? We're not just celebrating the birth of a prophet or a good teacher or just a nice man, right? We're celebrating the birth of God in the flesh, the Savior of the world, the one who came to save the world, to save you and I from our sins. But here's Joseph now, right? He's trying to fall asleep one night. His mind is racing as he's thinking about this Incredibly difficult news. Mary's pregnant. She says it's the Holy Spirit. That's not right. Uh, we're going to be shunned, shamed, scorned. My family's reputation's on the line here. My reputation, her family's reputation. How can I end this in a way that just protects her from experiencing violence? He's going through all these things in his head, and he's probably having a hard time falling asleep, drifting in and out of sleep. And as he drifts eventually into sleep, he has a dream. And in that dream, this angel shows up. Probably the same angel, Gabriel, who appeared to Mary as well. We don't know. Matthew doesn't tell us. But probably the archangel, Gabriel. 
And he has this dream, and this angel says to him that everything that Mary has said is true, that the baby inside of her had indeed been conceived by the Holy Spirit, and that this baby, baby Jesus, was going to be something special, that he was going to save the world from its sin. This angel confirmed what Mary had said, maybe, to Joseph about her situation. He knew what he had to do. Which as a side note here, it's, it's interesting to me that God waited to send this angel until this very moment. Like when it was almost too late. Like Joseph's scheming and thinking about how I'm going to get out of this. What my plans are going to be. How I'm going to end this relationship. Like it's the 11th hour in Mary and Joseph's relationship. And that's when God says, angel, go. <laughs> like he could have sent the angel earlier. The angel had appeared to Mary. They were in the same town. It would have been very convenient for that angel just to go maybe a few doors down and say hi to Joseph as well. But for whatever reason, that didn't happen. Instead, God waited until the 11th hour to let Joseph know what was really going on. Speaks to the idea of God's timing in our lives. His perfect timing, doesn't it? Heard it said this way. That God's never late, but he's rarely early either. He's always just on time. I think that's important for us to consider as we're praying for different things, wanting God's will to be done in our lives. We're wondering where he is in the midst of it all. Well, sometimes he's pushing our faith to the very brink. Because that's what he's most interested in, right? Is stretching us, growing us, causing us to trust him more. But don't worry. He's never late. He's always just on time. It's what happened here with Joseph. In Matthew 1, as the angel appeared to him at the 11th hour. The story goes on, and in verse 24, we read that when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took Mary as his wife. Or in other words... He said yes to God. He didn't, he didn't have to, right? He chose to say yes to God, to take Mary as his wife, taking a pregnant Mary at great personal cost to himself, no doubt. Verse 25, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, honoring the betrothal period and ensuring that there was just no way that he could think it was his own, his own son. And then, listen to this, the passage ends with these words, and Joseph named him Jesus. And Joseph named him Jesus, giving him the name the angel told him to give him out of obedience to God. A name that speaks to the very reason why God became flesh in Jesus in the first place, which is to save the world, to save us from our sin. It shows Joseph's obedience. He named him Jesus. He understood what was going on. You know what this shows us? It shows us that not only was Joseph a righteous and an honorable man, but he was a man who was ready to be obedient to God as well, no matter the cost. And make no mistake about it, Joseph's obedience here, it was costly for him. We don't read about that in the text, but knowing what we know about Jewish culture in that day, it cost him dearly. It cost him and his family their reputation. 
probably friendships with other families. He was scorned and shamed, I'm sure. It may have even cost him relationships with his direct family. It was costly to him. Remember, Jesus later on was essentially called an illegitimate son. The community knew. They believed that Joseph and Mary, they were sinful people. You need to stay away from those sinful people. There's no doubt that Joseph's obedience to God was very costly for him, and yet he said yes anyway, accepting the tough assignment that God had for him. It's the story of Joseph, this righteous an honorable man, a man who was willing to be obedient to God at incredible cost to himself. So what about us? What do we do with this story? Lots to reflect on, lots to consider. Three things I want us to chew on for a moment. Three reflections along with three reflection questions for us to consider. First reflection is this. It's that God never gives us easy assignments. God never gives us easy assignments. They are always tough. Maybe not quite as tough as it was for Joseph and Mary. The virgin birth thing only is a once in a, you know, universe existing thing. But make no mistake about it. Every assignment God gives us is going to be difficult. It's going to require faith. It's going to be stretching. We're going to feel like we can't do it. And you know what? I think that's the point. Because we can't do it apart from him. But God is looking for people. He's in the business of looking for people that he can trust with tough assignments. In First Chronicles, we read about how God is looking to and fro for righteous people, people that he can trust with his word. As God looks at our congregation this morning and he looks at our individual hearts and minds, is he seeing a righteous person? Someone that he can trust with tough assignments or not? You know, we don't think of it this way, but if you're experiencing tough assignments in your life, difficulties in your, in your life, you might want to think of them as a sign of God's favor in your life. Because it's showing that he's, he's trusting you with some pretty tough stuff. He's trusting you with a tough assignment. It's a sign of God's favor in your life. If your life is easy right now, you might want to reconsider some things. You might want to reconsider who it is that you're becoming. So here's a question for us as we think about the reality that God never gives us easy assignments. The question is this. What feels hard in your life right now? And what does faithfulness to God look like for you in this season? What feels hard right now for you? Something in your marriage, parenting, at work, finances, mental health, spiritually just feeling dry, disconnected from God? What feels hard? And rather than trying to make things less hard, which is my instinct is to try to fix stuff, make problems go away. Rather than trying to do that, what does just faithfulness to God look like in the midst of that difficult reality? 
I know that's an easy question to read on the screen, very difficult to live into. I want to encourage you, challenge you to pray into that as you consider the difficult things in your life right now. Second reflection is this. Like Joseph, who we're becoming today will impact how God uses us tomorrow. Who we're becoming today will impact how God uses us tomorrow. Like Joseph didn't just wake up one day and find himself a changed man ready to be the father, earthly father of the Son of God. (laughs) All of his life, he had been a righteous man, growing in wisdom and righteousness, becoming the kind of person who could be Jesus' earthly father. Yes, a descendant of King David. Yes, he checked all those boxes. But man, God could have waited more generations. God could have found someone else who was a descendant of King David, but he found Joseph because Joseph all of his life had been becoming that person. You know, I, I think for especially those of us in the room who are a little bit younger than I am, whose age might start with a one, might be a teenager, or in your 20s. Like, make no mistake about it. Who you're becoming today has an impact on your future, who you are tomorrow. So here's the question. Are you happy with the person you're becoming? And how can you create more space for God to shape and form you today? Spiritual practices, being in God's word each and every day, being a person of prayer, being around Christian community, being intentional to pursue the things of God in your life, not just doing what you want, but actually considering what God wants for your life. There's a few things for you to consider. What does it look like for you to become the kind of person who God can trust with tough assignments in the future? Because it starts right now whether you're a teenager in your 20s or an old fogey like me. And I'm younger than a lot of you. Question number three. Last reflection is this. Saying yes to God is always worth it. This is something we see in this story, isn't it? Saying yes is always worth it to God. Joseph could have said no, but man, like, what would have happened? He would have missed out on being Jesus' earthly father. What a bummer. Like there's only one person in the history of the world who got to be Jesus' earthly dad. Who else can say that? Nobody saying yes to God is always worth it. It's hard. It's difficult. But it's always worth it. Why? Because you get a front row seat to seeing God at work in your life. If you say no, if you take the easy road, you're going to miss out on what God could do. You say yes, it's always worth it. It's scary. It's risky. It's not without failure at times. But man, you get to see God show up in ways that he can only show up when we walk in faith and say yes to him in obedience. So, question for you to consider for us. What does obedience to God look like for you right now? Is there something going on in your life where you're, you're wrestling with something? Uh, I, I want to do this, but I get, I get the sense that it's not the right thing to do. Or I get the sense that God wants me to do that instead. Or I don't have a peace about this, but I still want to pursue this thing instead. Whether it's a relationship with someone or a career path or a financial decision or a, a parenting decision. You're not really praying about it. You're not really considering what God wants you to do. You're just doing it based on what you want to do. 
Have you stopped to ask God, God, what do you want us to do here? How do you want to lead us? What does obedience to you look like in this difficult task that we're finding ourselves in? Spend some time to pray and to seek God's will in the midst of that and then say yes to God and then step back and watch what he does. At the end of the day, um, this story, the story of Joseph and, and really the entire Christmas story, it's about one word. And that word is this. It's the word obedience. Obedience. Saying yes to God in his tough assignments in our life, no matter the cost to ourselves. Joseph did it. Mary did it, as we'll come to see next week. And you know who else did it? Jesus did it too. Jesus, he chose, God chose to come to earth in the person of Christ. He didn't have to, but he chose. He chose to enter into the world, to be born into poverty to a teenage girl from in Bethlehem of all places. And he chose to live his life in obedience to God, even being obedient to the point of death, death on the cross. He could have said no. He could have found another way, but he didn't. He was obedient to God. And we get to experience his life in us as a result of his obedience. Not our goodness, not our obedience, but because of the obedience of Jesus, we get to experience the life of God in us. All because Jesus said yes. So what is God calling you, us together, as a church, to say yes to him in? And what will he do in our lives, in our lives together as a church family, as we become increasingly the kind of people who say yes to him and walk in obedience to God? Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for saying yes to coming that first Christmas, yes to living a perfect sinless life, yes to the cross, yes to the resurrection, and yes to saving and rescuing each and every one of us. You didn't have to, but in love for each and every one of us, love for your creation, love for the world that you created, you became one of us, and you took our sin, our shame, our brokenness upon yourself. This Christmas, I pray that the truth of that would uh, speak so deeply into our hearts and souls again this Christmas, that you would remind us of who you are and what it is that you've done for us. And we thank you as well for Joseph and his example here, a man who didn't have to say yes but did at great cost to himself. Show us by the power of the Spirit how we too can live like Joseph, saying yes to God, to really hard things, knowing that in and of ourselves, we don't have what it takes to do those things, but you will empower us to do it as we say yes to you and walk in obedience to you. Speak to each and every one of us about what that looks like in our life this week, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. for tuning in. We're back next week with another great message. Don't forget to check out our website, thegatheringottawa.com, and tune in next week to The Gathering Ottawa's Message Podcast.